you know, it's Thanksgiving week. A lot of topical things we could be talking about right now. You know, we could be talking about Thanksgiving, you know, Thanksgiving food, you know, Black Friday, stuff like that. But no, I think the subject that we really need to hit on right now is, you know, Joey's opinion on a TV show that ended two and a half years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean. Finally getting around to Game of Thrones, though. I am proud of you. I I know it took a while to get there. I tried to tell you for years now and and you finally taken the leap and you're you're ripping right through it yeah so i'm currently on season seven so almost done with it and i just never watched it just because it was on hbo and i didn't have hbo max or go or whatever but i finally got it and started to watch it and it's a great show for sure i definitely love like all of the plot lines that they have in the show and all of the different families and you know their goals and whatnot and just in general the tv shows is great can't wait to finish it although you know i was on social media a couple years ago when the season finale dropped so i'm preparing to be disappointed but as far as it goes right now it's it's a great tv show and it's definitely one of the better tv shows that i've watched in recent memory for sure willing to kill off main characters left and right see like any other show that i've seen see you say that right but I was literally just saying this last night. Everybody says that, but they've only killed off like three main characters up until the point where I'm at right now. They've killed off Ned, his wife, and Rob. Really, if you really think about it, through seven seasons, those are really the only main characters that like we're really invested in that have been killed off. So I don't nah. necessarily agree with that statement. I mean, that's definitely not true, though, because like if you think about it, the main characters at the point of the show where you're at were like not the main characters in the beginning necessarily. Like Arya, yeah, Jon Snow, Daenerys, yeah. But like the first season, Ned was literally the main character and he died. And like Rob Stark was a main character and his mom like were a main character for the first three seasons. And then they just shifted to other main characters when they went like Joffrey, you know, his wife and younger brother. Like, I I feel like most shows don't kill off characters that they invest no. that much time into on a regular basis. They, they de- Oh, shit. I just dumped all my water on myself. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm leaving that in. Let me get a towel. <laughs> fuck, man. That cup was, like, fucking full, bruh. And we're back. You dry, buddy? Yeah, I just had to change my pants, socks, everything, you know. <laughs> but back to what I was saying. Obviously, they they killed main characters off in Ned, Rob, Lady Stark, whatever, right? But I was more so coming from the point of like the OG characters. Like they don't really kill any of them off besides those three up until the point where I'm at, right? Like Daenerys, Tyrion, Cersei, Jaime, Arya, Sansa brand they're all alive and those are like the the main characters that we're invested in and obviously as the show goes on in the earlier seasons main characters for those seasons come along like joffrey marjorie tommen whatever whatever they get killed off but i was more so saying the og characters are right still alive and well do i give a fuck if joffrey died no like we don't like. I mean, Joffrey. you were happy for that. Yeah, we were. We were happy. Do I care that Tommen walked out of a window? Absolutely not. Do I care that Sir Loris and Marjorie like they exploded? No, I don't care. <laughs> I'm I'm invested into the main OG characters. 
right now. They did the old flipperoo with uh, Jon Snow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jon dies and they bring him back to life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm invested in the main character. So that's that's where I was coming from. And like, I don't really understand people saying that when a majority of the main characters are still alive, because those are the are the main characters, I think. And everybody else is is kind of just like a, a supporting character. What about Hordor, though? Bro, he's not a main character. <laughs> I was I was sad when he when he uh, sacrificed himself. But right. But now they're going to have to uh, probably the door. F- fight, fight him in in, in the war. <laughs> All right, I think that about covers it. We'll check in again in a couple of weeks when you finish the show. That was a good solid 13 minutes of recording for what will hopefully just be like three minutes of podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 182 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to be breaking down week 12 in the NFL from a DraftKings perspective. Going to talk some slate specifics, what the Vegas Lions are telling us about the week. We'll also talk about the chalk, the top cash game plays, and of course, leverage stacks and long shots, everything you need to know to bank a tournament this week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. Finally, Our Discord channel is open and available. The link to join that is in the description to the podcast. Joey, we are recording this on Wednesday. Hopefully, by the time people hear this, we've already banked everything on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be a millionaire come Thursday night, uh, Friday early morning. Probably won't happen, but got to have hope. And hopefully, we can uh, bank some GPPs in Thanksgiving and Hopefully, everybody listening to this watched our live stream about Thanksgiving and and sale to the money because they're probably not listening to this, you know, during Thanksgiving, right? So no, yeah, this is definitely a Friday morning listen for most people, I would say. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, we talked on the Monday show about you know just a brutal week last week, and we we need to get a winning weekend, right? Otherwise, it's going to be us walking out the window like Tom and swear to God. So this week we're locked in, and we are going to get some dubs on the board this week and we can start off with some Vegas notes from the slate it is a 10 game main slate this week with seven games early and three games in the afternoon there is only one game with a total above 50 and that is the Bucks Colts game the top five implied team totals on the slate are Tampa Bay at 28 KC at 25.75 New England at 25.25 LA at 25.25 and then Philly and Indy splitting the fifth spot with a 25 total for each of them joey what stands out to you this week from a vegas perspective i mean not much to be honest only one game with the total above 50 like you said and that is the colts and bucks game Uh, and then other than that i think the packers and, and rams game stands out that has a total of 47 and a half i think a lot of people will gravitate towards that game uh should be a higher scoring game but from a vegas perspective it it's kind of grim this week man some of the best team totals of the week are played on thanksgiving and other than that there i don't there's not much 
the this slate is is looking real ugly. Yeah, this slate is looking for sure like a low scoring slate. I don't know if we've had a main slate all year where no team has an implied team total of thirty and that the highest is twenty eight. I, I don't think we've seen that all year. I think it's only the second time all year that we've had only one game with a total above 50. So yeah, it's it's to me looking like a really low scoring slate on the surface. Obviously there's some good plays and we'll get to those, but yeah, I think that we're really going to be looking to find guaranteed points as much as we can this week because there may not be a lot of them. Yep. I agree. All right. We can start off with chalk and at the running back position, I don't know what DraftKings was thinking pricing Daryl Henderson at 5,800. Like, I thought we were past this. Like, I, <laughs> they they have a buy, and all of a sudden we're back to like early October where he's criminally underpriced under 6K. Please make it make sense. It doesn't really make any sense as to why he would be under 6K. He has had a couple of down games in a row where he's only had 14 and nine touches in the in the last two Rams games. And I think that's just more so a function of the Rams just playing poorly, to be honest. They've, you know, they were losing in both of those games against the Titans and the 49ers. But this should be a close and competitive game. Daryl Henderson factors in to the receiving game. He's the best running back on the Rams. He's the goal line back. So at 5,800, it really doesn't get much easier than plugging in Daryl Henderson for one of your running back spots. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just the way that the slate works out, he just fits every build that seems good. So I think that he is, you know, borderline lock status. And then in that same range, there's a couple of other interesting running backs that I think will command ownership. AJ Dillon in the same game at 5,900 coming off of an encouraging usage week. It wasn't, you know, very plentiful from a fantasy perspective, or at least not as much as we would have liked to see when he was like 80% owned in cash. But the fact that he got six targets was really encouraging. And also, I mean, James Robinson, Saquon Barkley, Cordero Patterson in that price range as well. All interesting plays. Yeah, A.J. Dillon is going to project very well, and I think he's going to be one of the highest owned running backs on the slate. The role is just good, especially if Aaron Jones misses. Uh, Aaron Jones, I think, was back at practice today though so there is a chance that he could come back in time for this game against the Rams but if he is out once again AJ Dillon will be the workhorse for Green Bay but I will note Patrick Taylor did factor in some it is pretty concerning that he did you know have some attempts and he and he played on some of the snaps but it's still AJ Dillon's backfield as long as Aaron Jones is out and at 5900 honestly playing two running backs from the same game is negatively correlated but I think both of these backs play well in the passing game and I think it would be fine to run both of these guys especially with them being under 6k this week you know you're playing them for a combined 11,700 so you know I mean the amount of touches you're going to get for that price is really good. And even though they do negatively correlate, I think both of their floors are high. So I probably wouldn't do it in tournaments, but in cash games, I think it's very viable. James Robinson in this range looks really good to me at 6,200. I think this is a good spot for the Jacksonville Jaguars to bounce back at home against Atlanta. Atlanta's defense is God awful. And James Robinson, you know, coming back off of an injury, should be a little bit healthier in this spot. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think J-Rob sets up really well. His price is really good at 6200 Yeah, he's a home running back against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And the snap share hasn't been where it was pre-injury. You know, he's played on what, like 59 and 63% of the Jacksonville Jaguars snaps over the last two weeks, both in negative game scripts, though. And we know he factors into the passing game, so his role is pretty secure there. And Carlos Hyde is 
pretty much a non-factor at this point. So at 6,200, I think James Robinson is one of the best plays on the slate. And I definitely think it's viable this week to play three of these mid-range running backs if you want to include like Saquon and and CPAT in there as well. I, I think it's definitely viable to go that route and uh, just play like a, a nice balanced build this week. It, that's what it's looking like to me right yeah, now. Yeah, definitely looking like balanced builds are viable. That being said, there are some good running backs at the top end in good spots. You know, Christian McCaffrey is 9K sandwiched in between the two slate breakers last week. Austin Eckler at 8,400 coming off of a massive game. And obviously Jonathan Taylor, who dropped 50 last week, is 9,100 now, the highest priced running back uh, on the slate. Not a good matchup for him at home against the Bucks, but it would be pretty fishy to fade him because of matchup, especially after that was the mistake that pretty much everybody made last week yeah I mean Jonathan Taylor is just scoring fantasy points so I don't want to make the mistake of not playing Jonathan Taylor again this season you know he's been one of the best fantasy players period so at 9100 obviously it's very expensive and in cash I don't know if we will have the salary to get up to CMC or Taylor this week but I think some people definitely will find a way to play one of those two guys and I think they're both great plays and you know if I had to choose one it's probably CMC for 100 cheaper you know you're probably getting a little bit more upside in the passing game but I think Jonathan Taylor's touchdown upside is higher than CMC's at this point so it's honestly a coin flip to me I think both of them are great plays and I'm definitely going to have exposure to them in tournaments as well this week it's just hard not to and and Eckler would be like a tier below them for you yeah, Eckler is probably not in play for cash for me, personally. Okay. At the quarterback position, I think that the most popular options are going to be the rushing quarterbacks this week with all the implied team totals so low on this slate and the scoring expectations so low on this slate it's just going to be generally harder for guys who depend so heavily on touchdowns to get there I think so you know we want to look at these rushing floors Jalen Hurts at 7300 I mean we went on a long soliloquy last podcast about all the reasons Jalen Hurts is smashing he's the QB1 overall right now on the season so you got to love Jalen Hurts at a $7,300 price tag but Cam Newton coming in at 5600 only got a $500 price increase after smashing last week and he's he's just frankly too cheap in this matchup against Miami at 5600 Yeah, I think Cam Newton is the cash game quarterback. This week, didn't really get much of a price increase, only $500. You know, we did talk about how the Dolphins' pass defense has improved over the last couple of weeks, and I, and I think that is still true. But Cam's rushing floor is just very high, and his rushing touchdown upside, I think, is very high as well at 5600 So I would feel comfortable going down to Cam Newton in cash uh, off of Jalen Hurts, who is the second highest priced quarterback on this slate but this is a very uh grim quarterback slate to begin with and I I definitely think I'm going to probably play a total of like four or five quarterbacks Yeah, it's just, I mean, the cheap guys that you would have interest in, like Tua, maybe Mac Jones with the Patriots having a good total and a good matchup. It's like you just can't go there when when Cam Newton is 5,600. Like the, the savings is just ca- is destroying your floor, you know? So I don't, I don't think any of those guys are really in play for cash games. I guess you could go with like Brady or, or maybe Justin Herbert if you wanted to, but Jalen Hurts in that price range stands out as well. So, I mean, just because of the pricing on this slate, I think it kind of forces you to go with one of those two options in cash. Yeah, I definitely agree for cash games. 
At the wide receiver position, the mid-range is pretty interesting this week. You know, that sub-6K, you know, the 5-6K to 6K range is really interesting. Elijah Moore is 5,600 in an awesome matchup against Houston coming off of his breakout game. T. Higgins, once again, priced at 5,400, is going to be a popular play. Brandon Ayuk is only 5,300, and he has regained the role that we saw him flourish in last week coming off of a 21.5-point game. Gets a home matchup against a very beatable Minnesota secondary. So these guys, I think, are all in play for cash games this week. Yeah, I definitely agree. This is like I referenced before, the the balance build, the mid-range build is, I think, going to be the lineup construction. That is very popular. So receivers like T. Higgins, Ayuk, Elijah Moore fit that build pretty perfectly. If you had to rank those three guys in order from best to worst, how would you rank them? I would rank them as Elijah Moore 1, Brandon Ayuk 2, and T. Higgins 3, because I, I'm just done. I'm <laughs> done with T. Higgins, okay? I, I, I literally do not want to do it. And of course... Of course, this is going to be the week that I don't play him for the first time in like four weeks, and he's absolutely going to smash probably a 30 ball incoming um, <laughs> the week that I that, that I don't play him. Yeah, no, 100%. That, so that thought is kind of making me think that I should play him in cash. Right, but if, we, if you do play him in cash, it, it flips the whole philosophy, because if you play him in cash, he's going to get you like four points again. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, you, you can't win in this situation. <laughs> it's tough to navigate because I definitely think that he's going to snap if, if we don't play him for sure. But Brandon Ayuk, I think, is a very fine play. You mentioned that he's back to, you know, the role that he had last season. And it's a very uh, good role for fantasy. He's only 5,300. Elijah Moore, 5,600. I think he's fine. And the matchup is obviously great against Houston. Zach Wilson is back starting. And we didn't really see Elijah Moore flourish with Wilson. We saw more flourish with Joe Flacco. So I don't know if the quarterback change messes anything up with Elijah Moore or whatever. But I don't know. I just hate playing Jets players, period, especially in cash. But I definitely do think he's a fine play this week. Yeah, I mean... I saw this debate on Twitter where the Jets head coach Robert Sala had a quote saying that, you know, it isn't more wasn't getting better because Zach Wilson was out of the lineup. He's just point blank getting better, you know, as his rookie season progresses. And that's why he's breaking out. I tend to agree with that because I don't think that Joe Flacco at this point in his career can really be looked at as an upgrade for pass catching weapons. I think that you look at the usage and that signifies why Elijah Moore is getting better because we know, I mean, you got to be on the field to, to be good. And it's the first time that he cracked 80% of snaps since week one um you know he's really been in that 50 to 60 range for the majority of the year so i mean if he's going to be on the field full time and i i do think that he will i i'm not concerned about zach wilson being back in there i, I don't think it's like some massive downgrade off of the corpse of joe flacco yeah i don't think it's a downgrade but uh, i don't know elijah moore's a a pretty solid play this week there i don't know i don't really have anything to say about more yeah for a hundred dollars more mike williams is interesting to me i mean they just tanked his price all the way down to 5700 you probably can't trust it in cash just because he's coming off of several weeks with you know five targets six targets you know he's been in that range since week five so the target is not good but you know the talent you're getting and the opportunity you're getting with Mike Williams at 5700 is certainly interesting. I like Mike Williams this week. The price is the cheapest that it's been all season. The upside is obviously there. Obviously, the role has changed. I think that's pretty evident. His role is not as good as it was early in the season, and I don't know why they went back to him being kind of like the longer A dot receiver. Who knows? 
but he's definitely not going to be chalk. I think he's definitely a good tournament pivot off of these chalky receivers in this in this range for sure. Yep. Nobody's really sticking out to me as cash viable below 5k. I guess the only one that you could make somewhat of a decent case for would be LaVisca Chanel at 4400. Jamal Agnew is out, obviously DJ Chark out for the year, which just further consolidates the target share there. They are really down to just Marvin Jones and LaVisca, and at 4,400 in a plus matchup against Atlanta, I guess that you could consider him viable this week. Yeah, LaVisca is probably cash viable now that Jamal Agnew went on IR, and they really have nobody else in terms of, you know, pass catchers. It's LaVisca, Marvin Jones, and Dan Arnold there now. So I feel like they are going to have to use LaVisca a little bit more than they were using him before. And if you really need to save the salary, I I think he's fine, but I personally would not go there. Deontay Johnson at 6,600 stands out. I mean, he's bankable getting double digit targets every single week. It's a decent matchup against Cincinnati. And I mean, you're paying 6,600. You're probably going to get like 13 targets. So I, I mean... It's kind of hard not to look at Deontay Johnson for cash this week. Yeah, in this range specifically, he's probably going to be the most targeted receiver, right? And at 6,600, the price tag is fairly cheap for a player that is going to see 10-plus targets. I think he is a fine play. The matchup is obviously not concerning. Deontay Johnson looks to be the best mid-range play at wide receiver this week in my opinion, for cash games. I agree with that. And then at the top end, we've got Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup as the standout plays. Cup is all the way up to 9,600, the most expensive player on the slate. Well-deserved. The role he has is, you know, unquestionably amazing. He's the breaker of slates. Like, I would play Cooper Cup if you could fit him, but it's hard when you have a $1,000 discount and you're getting Devontae Adams. Yeah, I think Devontae Adams is the cash play over Cooper Cup. And obviously, fading Cup this year has been a losing strategy for sure but DraftKings has finally done a nice job at pricing him up most expensive player on the slate for a thousand dollars cheaper you're getting you know what I think is a better receiver overall and you're getting essentially the same role right you're getting a 30 plus percent target share a 35 plus percent air yard share in Devonta Adams that is very comparable to, to Cooper Cup, right? And Cooper Cup is averaging six and a half more fantasy points, but he also has five more touchdowns than Devontae Adams. And we know touchdowns, a lot of his is just touchdown variants, right? So I think Devontae Adams at 8,600 is the preferred cash play over Cooper Cup this week. And I, I don't know. Hopefully it's not a uh, no cup, no cash week. <laughs> yeah, let, let's hope not. Let's hope not. <laughs> at the tight end position, man, this is grim. This is grim for our brand because, you know, obviously we're looking to punt it off every single week and looking at this tight end pool, we might have to pay, like I'm going to throw up saying it, but we might have to pay over 4000 for a tight end in cash this week. <laughs> yeah, the, the tight end pool is rough <laughs> to say the least. Rougher than usual. With it only being a 10 game slate, I mean, that that was very predictable that the tight ends would be pretty trash and I'm not really seeing any pay down option I would be comfortable with. I think if you want to get real disgusting, you play Ryan Griffin at 2600 if you're just Jesus. totally fine with going super fragile at the tight end position, which would be the position to do it at for sure. You know, he has 13 targets over the last 3 games. You know, he's playing a majority of the snaps for 
the Jets, and it's a good spot against Houston. So if you want to get real disgusting, you play Ryan Griffin. But if not, I think you're going to be looking in the range of Evan Ingram, Dan Arnold, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, right. So that 38 to 4,300. I think Fryermuth is the best because of Ebron's injury. He should be out multiple weeks. And Fryermuth has been targeted pretty frequently, even with Ebron in the lineup. And now you get him out of the lineup. And I think he's just a total smash this week. So he's my preferred play. But if you need the couple hundred, I think Evan Ingram going up against the worst tight end defense in the NFL in the Philadelphia Eagles is fine. And then you get Jason Garrett's bum ass out of there. And I think Ingram could be a smash. Uh, at 3,800 and Dan Arnold at 4K. Kind of the same thing with LaVisca Chenault. There's just no pass catchers in Jacksonville, and we've seen him have a great target share ever since coming to Jacksonville. Yeah, I definitely agree that those are the three guys that I would be most interested in playing. I think I, I think I would have the least interest in Evan Ingram. Just I've been burned so many times by him. Like it, He's been in a lot of great spots over the years. You know, You've always thought that the talent is there, but the fact of the matter is he's just not good at football. Like He's just not good. So I, I don't know, I'd rather just pay up a couple hundred to get to Dan Arnold, who realistically could lead the Jags in targets every single week. But I agree that Pat Fryermuth for 4,300 is probably the target at the position this week. He's averaging 7.2 targets over the last five games. He has four touchdowns over the last four games. And, you know, that was all with Eric Ebron. So with Ebron out now, I think Fryermuth, you know, just sets up really well. I think he's got a high target floor, obvious connection with uh, Big Ben. So I think Fryermuth is the standout play. And you, we can stomach to play a $4,300 tight end this week because, like we said, the balance build seems to be fitting and, and you don't have to punt all the way down this week. You have the salary to get there without sacrificing too much. So I think that this range is fine. If you have a lean, I would say go with your gut. My lean would be Pat Fryermuth. Yep, I think I would rank them in order of their salary. Fryermuth, Arnold, Evan Ingram. All right, let's move on to tournament strategy, leverage, stacks, and long shots. What do you got for the people this week? Yeah, so my favorite stack on the board is a buck stack. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's the highest upside stack on the board this week, you got Tom Brady, who's 7,600. Mike Evans, 7,200. Chris Godwin, 7K. Gronk is 4,400. So I like a combo of two of those, preferably Chris Godwin and Gronkowski, because I think those are the type of types of players that fare well against this Colts zone defense. The Bucks stack is just great right? It's It's been a very profitable stack. So on a slate like this, only 10 games, really no good games to target in my opinion. I'm just going to play the best quarterback on the slate, the best team, the best stack, and that is the Tampa Bay Bucks. I don't think it gets much easier than that. And we don't have ownership on these guys yet, but I, I would assume that you can get Brady, Godwin, Gronk at you know decent ownership yeah I I don't think it'll be too out of hand I mean it it could be they do have the highest total on the slate and there's not a lot of high totals so we'll have to wait and see uh definitely something that we'll touch on on the Saturday night live stream I'm gonna do something here that's that we've never done in 182 episodes of the podcast and I'm gonna wrap my leverage my stacks and my long shots all into one because it all, all all my favorite stuff fits into all the categories Okay, I think that this week, what you do to win is you load up on the Rams passing game. You play Stafford at 7,100. You play Cooper Cup at 9,600 and watch him break the slate like he always does. And then the long shot that you throw in there to get super contrarian is Odell Beckham Jr., priced all the way down at 5k coming off of a buy the Rams should have had enough time to get him more familiar with the offense I think that he plays a lot more snaps than he did 
in his first action just after getting signed. I think this is a really high upside stack. We just saw Kirk Cousins, you know, move the ball at will against this Packers secondary. This game has a lot of shootout potential, I think, and you're getting leverage off of quite possibly the chalkiest running back on the slate in Daryl Henderson. So to me, I mean, you're get, you're getting good leverage. You know, Cup is going to be a lot less owned than Devontae Adams in that same game. OBJ is a long shot. Give me the Stafford Cup OBJ double stack to fit into all three categories. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite stacks on the board as well this week. I think that is going to be lower owned than the Buck stuff for sure. Yeah. And obviously the Rams have struggled, but they went into the bye now they get a good spot going into Green Bay against a Packers secondary that, you know, is still without their best cover corner in Jair Alexander. So I definitely like that. Cup is expensive, so you're, you're going to have to save salary elsewhere, especially, you know, stacking Stafford and, and Cup together. It's a pretty expensive stack, but I definitely love Odell Beckham as a long shot at 5K. Leverage off of those wide receivers in that same 5K range like T. Higgins. Brandon Ayuk, so I definitely like the call on OBJ this week. Do you have a long shot for the people this week? Yeah, so it's tough with no ownership projections out, so I don't really know who's who's going to be a long shot. I want to play the Bucks receivers. I don't know who's going to be lower owned out of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but I would I would choose one of them as my favorite tournament play at wide receiver. And then in terms of long shot, I think Corey Davis at 4,800. If Elijah Moore is going to be stone chalk this week, which he could be, at 4,800, Corey Davis had the established chemistry with Zach Wilson early in the season, right? Had a 100-yard game, had a two-touchdown game in week one with Zach Wilson. He's cheaper than Elijah Moore by 800. Obviously, it's a good spot against Houston. So give me Corey Davis, the guy that, you know, they went out, made a priority free agent for the Jets, signed him to a bunch of money, and he is my favorite leverage slash long shot play of the week at wide receiver. Really just a large field tournament play only, though. Um, and and it's it's really just a one-off as well. Because I'm not stacking that game. I'm not stacking Zach Wilson. And I'm not doing a bring back either. Just give me a Corey Davis. Just pure one-off long sh- long shot this week. Yeah, I, l- I like that quite a bit. It makes a lot of sense. The matchup is really good. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him be the most productive Jets wide receiver on Sunday against Houston. So I, I definitely like that. Let's close out the show here with our best bets of the week. Had a decent week last week. What do you got for the people this week in terms of bets? See, I have a lot of bets for Thursday, but they're not going to be able to hear this. So I can't give those bets out. I I love a lot of props for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I I think there are some very soft lines, but we're just talking about Sunday. I think my favorite bet right now would be the Bucks minus three against the Colts. I know the Colts have been playing well, but I still think the Bucks are one of the best teams in the NFL, one of the best offenses. It's a good spot for Tom Brady. It's a good spot for the Bucks defense going up against Carson Wentz. Three points, not a lot. I think they easily cover this. And then my second pick would be the Eagles minus three and a half against the New York Giants. I think the Eagles could sneak into the playoffs. They have one of the easiest schedules remaining in the NFL. I think the Giants are just a disaster right now. Fired their offensive coordinator and Jason Garrett and three and a half right now. I think that is a solid line for this Eagles team that, you know, is building some momentum and 
you know, gearing towards a playoff push. Yep. I like that one quite a bit. In fact, I have that one written down as well. So I'm, I'm going to just tell you on that for all the reasons that you said, like Giants are on a short week. They just fired their OC. The Eagles, you know, gave the Saints that work last week. I think that they're going to do it again in this spot against the Giants. So I like Philly. The line I was looking at was four. So, I mean, that's even better. I'll take that. And then the other one I like is Tennessee plus six and a half because you know, they were on a hot streak of smashing every team they played. I think this Patriots hype is going a little bit too far, too fast. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Titans come out and smash your New England Patriots in this spot. <laughs> like, I'm talking not even competitive. Like, this is going to be a two-score win for Tennessee. So you're picking Tennessee money line. I mean, I would. No. But I'll take the six. They're not winning the this game. <laughs> they don't have the talent on the offensive side of the ball right now. With Derrick Henry hurt. A.J. Brown is hurt. Julio Jones is on IR. They just lost Marcus Johnson for the rest of the season. They have nobody. They're yeah, starting running they, back. How are they going to be able to match the offensive output of Kendrick Bourne and Ramondre hey, Stevenson? Patriots are averaging <laughs> over 30 points per game over their last five. Oh, okay. So the Patriots are putting up points on the board. They're one of the hottest teams in the NFL. First in the AFC East. I don't mind taking the spread on six and a half for sure. And it meets the criteria of, you know, betting on a team that didn't cover the week before against a team that did. But the Titans are not winning this game. They they might cover six and a half. I think it'll be a close game. They're not winning. Like that that's just blasphemous. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see next week when I'm victory lapping going two for two. You know, Tennessee is whatever their record is after winning. I have no <laughs> idea. But yeah, man, I think that that is going to be it for another edition of the DFS Dose podcast. Loaded week this week. We had Thanksgiving content on the channel. We have this podcast here. And of course, we've got the Saturday night live stream coming up. Make sure that you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover Joey's at Joey Carrion. DFS. You can also find each of our solo YouTube videos where Joey breaks down the top stacks of the week on YouTube and I talk about my cash game core at each position. Those will be on the YouTube channel this week as well. To everybody listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.